Podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Station 1460 KXNO 106.3 FM with you here until noon. By the sounds of things in the weeks ahead, there's going to be a whole lot of high school baseball on these airwaves. Yes. As soon as, uh, well, you'll be putting, what, a tentative schedule? Can you do that now? That's what I'm working on right now. Basically, if the schedule that it was scheduled before everything came down with COVID-19, if that happens, I'm working off of that. And the opener... June 15th, there's a lot of good games to open up the season. Give me, a, this give me year. an idea of who. Well, we got the defending champion, two time defending champion, Urbandale Jayhawks. Uh-huh. They welcome in Dowling Catholic, Southeast Polk hosting Waukee, Ankeny versus Ankeny Centennial. You have that one, Valley Fort Dodge. Fort Dodge, always a really good baseball program there. A lot of different directions to go to open up the season. Mm. So you'll do play by play. Who else in the building? We got Eric Zamora, who's yeah. done a lot of high school play-by-play Emory work. Songer, I'm Emory assuming. Songer, because yep. he does work on CISN. He does he absolutely. So, going to be involved. Get some people out there. Um, had JP Richardson's done color with me in the past. The umpire, who you see when he's not working, he's done a few games. And there's always great people to have on. Rush Niggett, whose son plays for Roosevelt mm-hmm. and great sponsor of our high school sports with Brick Gentry PC. He knows all these kids across Central Iowa as his sons have gone through it the last few years. So we got a lot of fun people up there. And Ross Peterson did a game with you last yeah, year. Yeah, that he was not? great. Went out to East and they even welcomed him to East. <laughs> uh, up on the sign right by the nice. baseball field there. Welcome home, Ross. Uh, that's great. Did they? I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. So I talked to Ross maybe about doing a game. Mm-hmm. We talked about this. Uh, this is months ago that we first talked about it. Told Williams, hey, can you dust off the old play by play chops? Maybe do a Bondurant Blue Jay game, something like that. We're going to have fun with it this Why summer. Why not? Yes. Absolutely. So there seems like there's some closure and things are moving ahead there. All right. We're waiting on uh, Governor Reynolds. Who have you, is she in the doorway? Any update? It's up. It's live. They have the camera pointed right now to the doorway, but have not seen her All burst right. through the as she normally uh, does. The Gov's a little bit late, so we'll uh, we'll get her as soon as she starts. We do have Matt Poston's coming up on the Big 12. You know, he also covers the, uh, the, the Cowboys for the Maven. Mm-hmm. What's the holdup with that press con? Well, he turned down what thirty-five million dollars last chunk season. of money. It was a four-year deal, and he wanted it back loaded. Did he not? He wanted his final that year right to be like crazy money. The reason reasoning that I've heard behind this is the anticipation is there's going to be even more television right. money coming into and the, the NFL. It's going to go up, right? And with the cap going up, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, we're talking about monopoly money. Right, but if he's going to be the one to break, if he's going to break the bank this year, what's Mahomes worth? I mean, if Dak Prescott thinks he's worth forty-five million, is the number I heard for Prescott. Jesus. 60, 80, 100? I mean, who would you rather have? It's not even close. It's not even close, is it? And those Dak numbers, I don't want to say are concerning. They're okay. They're okay. Right. He's a top half quarterback. Was he a fourth round pick or third round pick? Yes, you're right. One of those two. One of those two. Uh huh. You said fourth, and that said, said right? Then you said third, and that sounded even more right. The, whatever. He was in that time range, mm-hmm. right? But didn't get paid well early uh-huh. because of that. Right. 
That's got to be a, certainly a reason and, behind and it. Send Tony Romo into the broadcast booth, yes. which I think we're all grateful for. Not that he wasn't a, a good player. He was a good player. Uh, but he's really good at what he does now, and he certainly entertains the heck out of you and I. Fourth round for Fourth round for Dak Prescott. Pick 135 Mississippi State. Franchise tag this year. Unbelievable. Well, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, in the in the young quarterbacks in the game, where is he? Where would you rank him? Is he better than Goff? Is he better than Wentz? Yes. I think so. I think those... Better than Goff, even though Goff... Would you rather have him or Baker Mayfield? Yes. Still Dak? Kyler Murray? I'd hem and haw at that one, I think. Okay. Uh, you're not better than Drew Locke. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> the Drew Locke love. Boy, when he goes out on that Monday oh, night, man. you're staying up late having to watch that, and he throws four picks. Oh, oh uh, we are going I'll to have a... curled up in a fetal position. Pissed off and... Tuesday. <laughs> now here comes Grumpy Ken. Yeah. Not better than Lamar Jackson. Nope. Um, who, the, who else... Uh, would you consider Trubisky still a young quarterback? Deshaun well, Watson, if we're considering Mahomes, you got to put those two in. Yeah. Deshaun Watson, rather have Deshaun Watson, would I'd you? I'd rather have Deshaun Watson. I would, too. would you rather have Joe Burrow? Would you rather have Tua? Without knowing. Uh, I give you the option right now. You have an Jack average. Jack Prescott or one of those two? You're an 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, nine and wow, seven type of that's roster. that's a good one. And I'm giving it to you right now. See, I think Joe Burrow's going to be a star. A star? I do. I think he's going to be a star. He didn't go to the right organization to be a well, star. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, that's good. That's been a place where a lot of quarterbacks have gone and some treaded water. Right. Uh, Tua, I still... His injury history concerns me when it comes to him. I think I would take Burrow, then Prescott, and watch Tua blow by both of them. All right. You? Josh Allen? No. Okay. I'd rather have Dak. Okay. Josh Allen, inconsistency. Uh, there He's are... got a gun. There are spurts that you get excited yeah. about. Ryan Tannehill, I guess he's not a young quarterback anymore, no, is he? No, he's, he's, he's not on that list. How about uh, Kenny White yesterday where he's got Matt, Ryan Tannehill ranked, what was it, top five? Yes. Of, uh, and his stats, I mean, his stats were, you look at him, I don't know how he did it, You're but right. they are what they are. All right, uh, Channel 13 has just cut in. That means the Governor Ken Reynolds is walking to the podium. In fact, here she is. Okay. Well, good morning. Uh, This week in Iowa, we hit a new all-time high in testing with 4,636 tests reported yesterday. 355 of yesterday's tests were positive for a positivity rate of 7.7%. More than 3,000 Iowans have been tested at Test Iowa sites since Monday, and more than 700 appointments are already scheduled for today. I'm also pleased to announce that we're further expanding testing criteria for Test Iowa. Previously, we expanded to allow testing for essential workforce. Later today, we'll be opening the criteria so that anyone who thinks that they should be tested can be. This is especially important as more Iowans are returning to work. So if you're interested in being tested, please go to testiowa.com and take the assessment. So this change will be a effective by the end of the day. So Iowa is continuing to move forward. Gradually, we are beginning to step back into life as normal. Things aren't exactly the same as they were, but it feels familiar, and that's a welcome change. The reality is things will need to be different for a while. 
COVID-19 can't be eliminated. We can't prevent people from getting it, but we can, but it can be managed. If we all continue to take personal responsibility and do the right things to protect our health and the health of others. Normal will look and feel different, but I believe we'll all discover that different can look and feel pretty good. Yesterday, I announced that restrictions will be eased for more businesses and some activities that we all enjoy, like camping, swimming, and going to a movie. But perhaps the most anticipated of all was the school-sponsored activities that will be permitted to resume. Closing Iowa schools through the end of the normal school year was one of the toughest decisions I've made these last 11 weeks. For me, nothing signifies getting life back to normal more than getting our kids reconnected to their schools. And thanks to the leadership of the um, Department of Education Director Ann Lebo and her team uh, and the Education Task Force, Iowa schools implemented continuous learning programs to keep students on a path forward. And while this was uncharted territory for teachers and students alike, together they stepped out of the normal and into different. And that's been a learning experience that they won't soon forget. Today, I'm pleased to have an exceptional leader and student from the Waterloo Community School District joining uh, me today. Ryan Christopher is a fourth grade teacher at Highland Elementary School, and Isaiah McDonald is finishing his fresh freshman year at West High School. So thank you both for being here. Mr. Christopher, I know this was an awesome and unexperienced, unexpected responsibility to take on. Um, can you tell us about your experience? Thank you, Governor Reynolds. The opportunity to share what this experience has been like as a fourth grade teacher in Waterloo School District. As a teacher, being flexible is important. As we plan our instruction, we usually create a plan A, a plan B, and sometimes even C. Shifting to the continuous learning plan with all virtual learning was something I'd never considered. A change of this magnitude would take months to plan normally. We had a few days. So first we reached out to parents to find out which students had devices and an internet connection. Our parents were amazing partners. Many responded within minutes. I found personally 17 to 26 students had a device and an internet connection. This is where the Waterloo Schools leadership jumped into action, deciding to check out district Chromebooks to all families who did not have a device and providing support to gain internet access. Next, we had to determine how we were gonna deliver our tasks to our students. Throughout the school year, we had used Google Classroom, which makes it easy to assign a wide variety of tasks to our students, allowing them to interact with content, providing a platform to give students feedback. And the reason my fourth grade team decided to create new Google Classrooms was to make it easier to see which students had joined and who we still needed to reach. Getting students, students signed up was a team effort. We sent emails, made phone calls, sent text messages, principals, counselors, and family support workers made contact with families to ensure everyone had what they needed to continue learning. At the same time, the district was sending messages to families to encourage them to join their Google Classroom. By April 15th, I had 25 of my 26 students signed up. So what did the instruction look like? We began by reading an ebook, Mr. Popper's Penguin. As in every classroom, we have students at all ability levels. So to ensure students received the support they needed, we included a YouTube video of a teacher reading each chapter for students to follow along. Students would answer questions and turn them into the Google Classroom. On day two, one of my students, Brigitte, suggested we do a Zoom call to discuss the book. Day three, we discussed the chapter live. This was amazing. Families welcomed me virtually, of course, into their homes. We learned in kitchens, living rooms, bedrooms, in the backyard, 
I even had a student join from the car by a mobile device. Some parents and siblings sat in on the learning also. We have continued the live learning daily with good participation. The move to virtual learning was a huge shift. Seeing the need for professional development, our leadership team began to send out daily tech tips to support our instruction. Then we moved to weekly modules led by Ron Morland. In effect, in an effort to provide multiple levels of support, Ron reached out to pre-K teacher Jill Peters and myself to help provide professional learning to the whole staff. This was another place where our district shined. Every teacher from pre-K to high school, principals, and even our superintendent was taking part in the learning. We collaborated across grade levels and buildings, posting comments, asking questions, helping each other in every effort to support our students' learning. I had a few daughters who attend West High School. Their teachers were implementing the tools from the PD immediately. Waterloo staff has always worked as a team, but nothing like this. This has been absolutely amazing. We've developed some valuable resources and tools we can use to continue to support our students in our current reality, reality and as we hopefully return to the buildings in the fall. Teachers have created quizzes that have immediate feedback videos embedded based on student responses, video lessons that stop at key points to check for understanding. We've created virtual field trips connected to content and building background knowledge for an upcoming book. I'm very excited about our future. Instruction in Waterloo will never look the same. In closing, I want to say thank you to our families, students, and staff for their dedication to teaching and learning, as well as their patience as we navigated this challenge. I've never been more proud to be a teacher and parent at Waterloo. Thank you, Governor Reynolds. Oh, thank you, Ryan, and thank thank you for all you do for our students. Um, I really appreciate it. And I love how you seized the opportunity and really thought about it in an innovative and inclusive way. And I have no doubt that your students are going to always remember uh, this experience. So thank you so much for being a part of the press conference. So we also have joining us Isaiah, and I'm sure you've never imagined that you'd spend part of your freshman year learning from home. You want to tell us a little bit about your um, experience and what that's been like? Yeah, good morning, and thanks for the introduction. Learning from home for the last two months has been different. It is nearly every other aspect of our lives. Different is neither good nor bad. It's simply different. It's not easy to learn material because the face-to-face -face time helps you retain information. With that said, online classes are more direct and concise. I try keeping a routine by actually waking up in the morning and not sleeping in late every day. I wake up eat breakfast, get ready for my classes, and in addition to classwork, I try to stay active each day. Whether that be going on a bike ride with my dad, playing tennis with my family, or just going on a walk. And yes, I even play Xbox. I also love TikTok. With Governor, you should definitely talk to your staff about getting you on TikTok. <laughs> While we've managed to make it work, learning at a distance hasn't been without its challenges. Meeting weekly instead of daily has been a major change. While my teachers have done a good job of staying on Zoom calls after our classes, answering emails and engaging us as much as possible, it's simply not the same. While the virtual worksheets are fine, nothing can replace our class pet Ozzy the Bearded Dragon. Seeing my classmates on a Zoom screen is okay, but we all miss walking on the hall to our next class or sitting down at a lunch table to tell a friend what happened today. I miss seeing my classmates and teammates. I even miss Mr. Garcia's jokes and dance moves. I miss the social interaction every day with some pretty great people at West High. I can't wait for track next year. This year, our season got cut short and I was only able to run in one meet. I'm also looking forward to getting back on the football field with my teammates. Even that midnight practice 
Coach Moore puts around for our first official day of practice. I appreciate all the efforts by so many to keep us safe. Ultimately, Governor, I guess the takeaway from our experience over the last two months has been that while learning at a distance is fine, it has certainly made us all appreciate learning in person that much more. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Isaiah. I appreciate that very much. And I know you missed your track season, so I hope uh, we're able to get things back on track soon, and hopefully that includes football. Um, so uh, keep up the great work. I really appreciate you sharing with Iowans what your experience has been like. I've done TikTok once with the IJAG class at the Capitol, so uh, they got me involved in a little bit of a dance move. So I don't know. I've tipped into it just a, tiptoed into it just a little bit. So thanks. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate that very much. So while school, schools can begin to offer summer learning, opportunities and activities on June 1st, there's much planning and preparation needed to make that possible. So I've also asked um, Director Lebo to join me today and provide an overview of some of the reopening guidance so that parents of school-aged children uh, understand the plan. Anne? Thank you, Governor Reynolds. Today, I'm excited to announce that starting June 1st, school districts and non-public schools may begin offering summer learning activities for students, such as summer school, academic enrichment programs, and activity-based camps like STEM, robotics, and drama, among others. This comes on the heels of yesterday's announcement that we're opening high school summer sports and additional recreational activities that will keep students active during the summer months. The Iowa Department of Education has been working in consultation with the Iowa Department of Public Health to determine when and how to safely open districts and non-public schools for these types of summer learning activities while protecting the health, safety, and well-being of our students, families, educators, administrators, and staff. Schools may provide summer learning using online and other distance learning approaches, but they may now also offer to choose to also choose to provide on-site learning opportunities in accordance with certain public health precautions as outlined in our new guidance. Some of the mitigation measures include screening all staff and students upon arrival, teaching and reinforcing washing hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds, distancing students and staff during instruction by limiting group size, increased spacing, and limiting mixing between groups, and implementing cleaning and disinfecting schedules. It is important to note that this guidance is intended to serve as a starting point for districts and non-public schools as we take our first steps to open for students. It is also important to know that these guidelines are specific to moments in time as we transition through phases of reopening based on virus activity. This phase introduces guidelines for voluntary opportunities that involve limited numbers of students through the month of June, with expectations of new decision points by July 1. Whether a school chooses to provide in-person learning opportunities over the summer is a local decision that should be made based on the needs of their communities and in consultation with lo local public health officials. We have a call scheduled at 1 o'clock today with school leaders to review the guidance on summer sports, use of facilities, and summer learning and activities, and we'll continue to offer support to schools as we work through what the future of education will look like together. As the only state to offer summer interscholastic baseball and softball, Iowa is leading the nation, and we are confident that our coaches, parents, and players will make this a success. Please note this only applies to high school teams. All other guidelines remain in place, 
and the use of weight rooms and in-person out-of-season contact for other sports remain on hold until July 1. The ability to have a summer sports season is a great way for our students and communities to start finding a way forward, and there has been a general outpouring of gratitude for this decision throughout the state. I appreciate the support of our partners at Public Health and the Boys and Girls Athletic Associations, and I'm excited for what this summer will mean for our schools and families in Iowa. Thank you. So thanks, Anne. Uh, again, I want to commend you for your leadership during this time. In fact, uh, Anne's first day in her new role was during the first week that COVID-19 was identified in Iowa, and she has handled it with grace and professionalism. I'm so proud to have you as part of my team. Uh, was nothing says welcome aboard like a, like a pandemic, so thank you. Finally, yesterday's announcement that high school baseball and softball would start June 1st through cheers across the state from coaches, players, fans, and parents. For weeks, athletes have held out hope that they'd be back on the field in time for the season, and that day is coming. Like everything else, it's going to be different, but it will be good. Today, I've asked Mike Kennedy and Eben um, Baumhover, head coaches of Van Meter's uh, varsity boys baseball team and Iowa's reigning class 2A state champions to join me and share what this means to them, their team, and the Van Meter School District. Coach Kennedy? Thank you, Governor Reynolds. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I'd like to address first um, that, that we're really excited to have this opportunity. I'll let Coach Baumover dive a little bit more into, into that side of things, but really want to look at the, you know, the logistics and mitigation strategies that we're starting to consider as we move forward. So uh, obviously uh, we, we need to be really deliberate and transparent um, in, in how we plan over the next 10 days um, and our execution of that plan then starting on the 1st of June. From the athletic association, uh, school administration, coaching staff, players, parents, community members, it's really imperative that we have a common understanding of what our mitigation practices are going to be uh, because player safety is really the forefront of our minds right now uh, more than ever. You know, wins and losses really won't matter at the end of this season if we don't do all that we can throughout the season to protect our student athletes, our families, and our fans. So what that looks like, um, obviously, it's going to continue to evolve as we continue to plan for the 1st of June. You know, however, the, the initial common practices the Department of Education put out uh, yesterday uh, that we plan to employ immediately and then uh, continue to build on those is obviously anything that revolves around avoiding physical contact between players, coaches, and fans. Uh, our dugouts are not going to be used for practices. Bleachers won't be used for games. Uh, concessions uh, will likely not be open throughout the season uh, during any of our games. Players are going to have to bring their own supplies of, of food and drink uh, as we won't be able to provide any of those common sources anymore. Uh, cleaning and sterilizing procedures on any shared equipment, which obviously we hope that that is minimal, um, and, and we'll, we'll do all we can to, to prevent that. Uh, a new transportation plan, which is, might be a, an unforeseen one, uh, but we can't put 30 kids on a bus together uh, to go to an away game, so we've got to reevaluate how we, how we get to games. You know, the traditional post-game handshakes and congratulatory fist bumps when kids come off the field, uh, we might have to re-examine those as well. You know, standing together for the National Anthem at the, the beginning of games might look a little bit different. Um, field cleanup, which is uh, certainly a unique one to baseball. Uh, we, we can't just throw uh, 10 kids out there together and, and say, you know, go, go congregate and get, get things done on the field. We've got to be really deliberate about that, assign it, do it in shifts. Uh, practice structure might change as well, uh, which maybe that's, you know, that's a good thing from a, 
uh, a player standpoint as well. Maybe we can't just put 20 or 30 players on the field all at once and work on something, and we minimize our, our team time uh, to maintain that physical distancing. So it, it's really you know, absolutely essential that we do everything we can to, to maintain physical di- distancing, protect players. So at the end of the day, we're, we're prepared to do whatever we have to do uh, to be successful this season, you know, even if that success is measured uh, in something more than wins and losses this year. Um, so with that, I'll turn it over to Coach Baum over to talk really about what this means at a more personal level for the, the school and the kids and the community. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Governor Reynolds for tremendous leadership throughout this difficult time. I would also like to thank the Boys Athletic Association for giving us the opportunity to get our student athletes back on the field. Uh, when this moment uh, an announcement was made yesterday, uh, it was a relief. The weight had been lifted and all the uncertainty of will we play uh, was put to rest. This opportunity means everything to our players and the Van Meter community as a whole, and we hope to make this to make them proud again this season. Uh, our boys have been patient, and they've endured a lot throughout this uncertain time, just as we all have. And now it's their chance to get back out there and just feel some normalcy again. Yeah. And there's no better place to begin that than summer nights at the Ball Diamond. To a lot of these young men on our ball club, a summer without baseball has never existed. So this is going to feel great for them. Personally, we have a big group of seniors returning this year, and they've had a really challenging year, uh, even before the quarantine was in place. Uh, they experienced some heartbreak. So not only do they get the opportunity to enjoy one final season together, they have a little something extra that they're playing for. And I know they are sincerely grateful to get this opportunity to play summer baseball. I think these past few months have reminded us all to be thankful for our freedoms and our opportunities and there's no better American symbol of that than baseball. It gives us all a chance to return to what we once knew as normal. There will be challenges ahead. Some are known while others will need to be addressed as they arise, but we will adjust and find avenues to overcome those obstacles. I know that the baseball community in in all the states will be excited to finally get back out and play ball. Uh, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Evan. Um, this season is going to be much different than you'd expected, but I know you're going to continue to lead your team through it, and I wish you all the best as you get out there and defend your state title. So go Bulldogs. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of the press conference. I really appreciate it. You know, the last 11 weeks have, have challenged, us, challenged us all, but as we always do, Iowans have risen to the occasion, doing things they never imagined they'd have to do to protect themselves and others. The Iowa spirit and our willingness to do the right thing it's what's made a difference in our state and it's what will continue to make a difference as we move forward. So again, I want to thank everyone that participated in the press conference today and with that, we'll go ahead and open it up for questions. Governor, we reported today a Lynn County official um, concerned about the lack of data for their ability to do contact tracing as a result. Um, I was curious, like, what is the issue and um, what are you doing to improve data communication? Well, first of all, I want to, without having test Iowa, we would not be able to test the significant amount of Iowans that we have. So I'm so grateful to Test Iowa to provide the number of tests that we're able to do and to set up the Test Iowa sites in right now eight locations across the state of Iowa. In three short weeks, we have significantly ramped up testing opportunities for Iowans. So we should never lose sight of the fact that that's, you know, over, I, I think, a, a, over a thousand Lynn County residents. Well, actually, of what was tested at Lynn County, only 60% of those were actually Lynn County residents. But that's a, that's a great step in the right direction. Do you want to talk a little bit about the details? 
Sure, yeah, thank you. We are aware of the concerns that have been raised by the Lynn County Department of Public Health related to um, a concern about timeliness of receiving test results from the test viable locations. And so we are presently in the process of looking into that. Um, our goal is to certainly get lab results to local public health as quickly as possible because we understand that contact tracing and case investigation is just such an important component to be able to contain the virus um, when it is detected. Um, in our state. And so we are aware of the concerns, we're looking into the concerns, and we will resolve them as quickly as we can. Thank you. Will there be more Test Iowa sites, and how does this uh, affect the schedule of those sites going forward? For instance, um, it was our understanding that Woodbury County was scheduled to close after Friday. Will that be extended? Will that be moved to another location? So um, right now we're able to significantly increase our testing capacity. As I said, we're opening up to anyone that wants to be tested. We have the capacity through Test Iowa right now to do with 200,000 tests um, available, and that doesn't even count the the uh, state hygienic lab, the tests that they have available, as well as our hospitals and clinics and um, our Abbott machines that we have in place. And so the data that we're collecting through Test Iowa really helps us identify where and when we need to provide the additional um, Test Iowa sites, as well as the strike teams that we put in place too. And we'll be announcing uh, t next week, early next week, another phase that we'll be opening up um, that will provide Iowa access to testing. So it's based on the data we're seeing where we potentially might see another cluster or maybe some increased virus activity. So the EPI team and the Department of Public Health look at the data that they're collecting and that's how they make the decisions on where we should move the test sites. But again, we have the capacity. That's why we're opening up testing uh, and making it available for all Iowans. I think it's really important too. It's how we can be a partner as we start to open things up and get Iowans back in the workforce. This allows us to provide that opportunity to them as well as uh, the various business uh, businesses as well. So I think it's a really positive step in the right direction. We have the capacity to do that. And uh, we're really refining the process. You know, if you think about it, you know, it's been three weeks. We took a week out to validate it, which was really important. And the State Hygienic Lab even did that in a, in a you know, significantly shorter time frame. But they validated 100 tests. And so that came out of the process time too, which backed us up a little bit at the beginning. But now that we have that in place, we have the equipment in place, we have the test available, we're gathering the data from testiowa.com and we're going to continue to meet the needs of Iowans as we move through the pandemic. Will people who filled out assessments in the past be contacted by Test Iowa so to now, now schedule something? I or? would go back on today. So that will be available later this afternoon. So for sure you might want to wait even until tomorrow. Go on and do the assessment at testiowa.com and then that we can start getting you uh, scheduled for so where we can do a lot of new assessments. Yep, yep. And you, you know, if you go on and do the testiowa.com frequently, you get a reminder to go back on and to check, you know, to give an update on if you're still feeling well, if you're experiencing any symptoms. People can proactively go back on and do another one, but you do, once you take a test, get a reminder uh, to go back in and fill out another kind of an update uh, on your health. And that's how we're going to continue to kind of help manage the virus. That gives us great insight into where we might see an additional um, virus activity um, that we would want to respond to and get in front of and proactively address it and educate the community. So it really is part of our overall plan in, in really managing and containing virus activity in the state. Did you have another question? 
I do. Uh, oh, okay. Governor, for a while now, you've been recommending that anyone who can work from home and work from remotely do that. As more parts of the state continue to open up, uh, are you going to continue recommending that for businesses? Yeah, I think that that's as part in part of the um, guidance from the Department of Public Health that we've provided to businesses. If you can do that and you can make that work to provide that opportunity to Iowans, especially if you're an Iowan who is more vulnerable, that may have some underlying conditions, that may be in the older category that we know by data it's that 20 percent that are significantly uh, more impacted by COVID-19 and so if you fall into one of those categories and the, your um, employer can provide you the opportunity to do that we're suggesting that you do that and sometimes there's other uh, measures that they can take to isolate you to make sure that you're not around uh, other uh, employees or colleagues at the place of business too so there's a lot of great examples in the guidance that um, the Department of Public Health provides our businesses. All right, that was uh, Governor Kim Reynolds. We'll take a time out. Back to sports. Matt Poston's Heartland College Sports. And the Maven joins us next as we take you until noon. It's Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station. 1460 KXNO and 106- Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO with you here until noon. Let's get Matt Postens in here. Heartland College Sports, as well as the Maven as he uh, writes about the Dallas Cowboys. We'll try and get both in here. Uh, Matt, uh, thanks for coming on as always. Trent and Ken, how's things at Heartland College Sports? Uh, doing fine. We just uh, finished up our basketball wraps for uh, the 2019-20 season. We wanted to kind of see where uh, whether some players declared or not, uh, we had just a couple of players who have actually declared, and we know for sure they're not coming back, uh, in Tyrese Halliburton, of course, and uh, yep. Devin Dotson. Uh, but there's a host of players that are in that kick-the-tires mode mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to the NBA, and the NBA has actually given them more time to think about it because they've pushed back the deadline for the draft and everything else as they're trying to trying to create some sort of opportunity for a pre-draft workout, combine, that kind of thing. So, Players like Jameis Ramsey, uh, Macy Oteague, Jared Butler, they're still kicking the tires on whether or not they want to go to the NBA. Uh, at the end of the day, I think all of them are probably going to come back next season. Well, uh, college basketball ends as far as you putting that out. I'm assuming you've turned your attention to college football as we have because I think that there's a, a need to do so. It seems like, Matt, that things are starting to look more positive clearly in this last couple of weeks than they did. Jamie Pollard yesterday was part of a, a Zoom conference or a cyber conference with hundreds of Cyclone fans. He said that he fully anticipates that Jack Trice will have football on September the 5th and in do so in in front of 30,000 fans was the number he put out there, which is 50% of the capacity at Jack Trice Stadium. Uh, does that number seem like that's going to be a conference-wide number, or is this maybe, um, you know, every school will do things differently? But 50% seems to be Gene Smith threw it out at Ohio State and Jamie Pollard yesterday when it came to Iowa State. Yeah, and it's funny, the lieutenant governor here in Texas, Dan Patrick, also kind of threw out that number in talking about Texas and Texas A&M football games and trying to create ways in which uh, they could include social distancing in the uh, uh, fan experience, and 30,000 was the number they came to. So that was that's interesting that uh, both of those athletic directors had put that out there as well. 
And this comes on the heels of the NCAA lifting the moratorium on June 1st for on-campus activities for football, men's basketball, and women's basketball. So there's certainly a there certainly is a thread of positivity right now. And it's still going to be, a lot of this is still going to be up to the conferences. The NCAA lifting the moratorium does not mean that the season will start on time. It doesn't mean that things couldn't change in the next few months. The conferences are going to have a lot of meetings. SEC has a meeting on Friday. I think the Mid-American Conference also has a meeting on Friday. The Big 12 did meet by conference call on Monday, but they didn't make any decisions. But uh, with the NCAA lifting this moratorium, it, it, it makes it a little more hopeful that you could start having an off season. And, and Bob Bowlesby said earlier this week, you know, they really decisions have to be made absolutely no later than mid July in terms of what we're going to do. And you know, personally, I think those decisions are probably going to be start being made a little bit earlier because you got to have time to ramp all this up and get ready for the season. You know, it's crazy too, just within the conference, how different it can be when you talk about Towns, Austin, what that city is as a whole comparison to. Lubbock, Texas, or Ames, or how different it might look in Manhattan, Texas, and then just what the coaches have said on top of that. Lincoln Riley has been very vocal about people not coming back quickly to campus, where you got Mike Gundy thinking he's got the world figured out. It, the the back and forth that is going to continue between the cities, between the universities, and even between these coaches. Yeah, it is going to continue, and it's probably not going to stop until we get well into the season, because I think I think every individual conference is probably going to come up with their own protocol in terms of how to handle it. I think they'll talk to each other, and I think there'll be some general agreement. But you'll probably see, like you said, some tweaks within the Big 12 or the SEC or the Pac-12, that sort of thing. Pac-12 is going to be really interesting because of the California factor related uh, to those schools out there, both in the Pac-12 and the Mountain West, uh, because the Cal State system's already said we're going to be an online institution across the board in the fall. How does that impact football? And that's going to be really interesting to see. But then you also have the factor of if this virus isn't cured or they don't have a vaccine by the fall, which they very likely won't, um, are we going to see a spike in cases once we start having sporting events? You know, the NBA and the NHL might very well be the test case for this because they look like they're going to start sooner along with baseball. But, you know, football is a different animal when you consider how many people you have in that enclosed space, 30, 35,000 people. That's going to play a factor as well. But I have to believe that the athletic directors are doing everything they possibly can to be as safe as possible with this. But I remember something Bob Bowlesby said at the Big 12 tournament in March. He said after the U.S. was preparing to invade Iraq in March of 2003, they actually brought the NCAA into the conversations about them wanting to keep college basketball going. And this was the Pentagon, the U.S. government, saying, have the NCAA tournament. We don't want you to stop. This is a good distraction for the country. It's mm-hmm. a good distraction for our soldiers. It helps keep their morale up. So I think if there's any way at possible there's going to be a football season in both the NFL and college football, that's going to be part of it. It's going to be a morale factor for the people in this country who have been hit by this. I want to ask you about uh, a recruiting, uh, a, a, a running back from uh, outside of Houston, I believe. I know you're based in Texas. I'm sure that you've, you know, maybe not seen Zachary Evans in person, but I'm sure you've seen him 
Uh, I mean, the comparisons. Best uh, horn Frog running back since LaDainian Tomlinson. No pressure. Reminds me a lot of Adrian Peterson. No pressure. It, I mean, he's a five-star. He was in the SEC, but now he's back in the Big 12. He lands at TCU. Have you seen him play? And does, uh, uh, I mean, good luck living up to those two names, but he must be pretty good. Yeah, I have not seen him play in person, but when you consider that Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Texas A&M were all interested in him, the fact that he was willing to come to TCU, that's, that's a huge gift. He's their first five-star guy, uh, I think, ever, honestly, in the, in the history of recruiting rankings. And those history, those recruiting rankings have only lasted like 20 years or so, but uh, he's the first five-star guy they've, they've cultivated in a long, long time. And... You know, everything that I hear, everything I see on paper when I see the highlights, here's a guy who's incredibly explosive. He is more explosive, more explosive on tape than any of the backs they had last year. Um, and, you know, with the way TCU can kind of change things offensively, they might have to change things offensively for this particular guy. When LT was in school, they were a run-based, power-eye kind of football team that passed out of play action. They're a much different football team now. They they run a lot of four or five wide sets. Um, they run the ball more to, to to they use the pass more to set up the run now. This guy's got receiving ability out of the backfield too, but if you really want to use him like an LT, you're gonna to have to make some adjustments. I'm I'm really interested to see how they're gonna use him once they get him on the field. I don't see him red shirting. I don't see him sitting with both uh, Darius Anderson and uh, Olanoa going to the NFL. I think he's a guy who's going to play right away. Going into the season, as we look forward to football, Oklahoma is going to be the favorite, as they should be, seemingly each and every year until they're dethroned. Texas, the second betting choice. I know right now, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, kind of in that 3-4 spot. Out of the next tier, the next group, teams 5 through 10, is there a team that you have hope for? You look at and say, if there is going to be that breakthrough team kind of out of nowhere, who do you like? I think we were just talking about them. Yeah, I, I, I like Baylor, although they're not necessarily an out-of-nowhere team, mm-hmm, but they right. have enough talent for Dave Aranda to be successful their first year. Um, I wouldn't count out West Virginia because I really like how Neil Brown yep. has built that program the first year, and I think they're going to be more settled at quarterback than they were last year. Uh, TCU is a team that could do it, but they got to find a quarterback. That's their biggest problem right now. I mean, Zachary Evans can solve a lot of problems for them running the football, but they have got to find consistency at the quarterback position, and they haven't had that since Kenny Hill was on campus a couple of years ago. If they can find the quarterback, if they can find the guy that can give them consistent production behind center, I think they have everything else they need to push that top tier. Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm all in on Max Dugan. I think he's a good player. Freshman last year, we'll see. It means clearly his job uh, this year. And Oklahoma State's that other team for me too. Oklahoma State, so much talent uh, coming back. They look like. You know, they, they, they might be the team. This time last year, we were all talking about Iowa State potentially cutting into the top two. I think it's Gundy's Cowboys. Yeah, you know what? Chubb is back. Yeah. And that's a big boon for their for running game. But don't forget that I think Spencer Sanders ended that season injured. Yeah. And Tylen Wallace ended that season injured. So they're getting their two biggest pieces back on offense. And you've got a lot of experience there. And. They, they have the potential to be really explosive. As always with Oklahoma State, it's how functional their defense can be. Yeah, and that hasn't worked out. <laughs> they better last year, weren't they? Because uh, yeah. they fired Glenn Spencer, 
uh, after a few years there. I thought they were a little bit better, but I'm with you. I'm with they were you. a little better. Yeah. They were a little better. They don't have to be great on defense. They just have to be solid enough for the offense to not have to score 45, 50 points again. Right. <laughs> that, that helps. Welcome to the Big 12. Well, we're talking to Matt Postman's exactly. Heartland College Sports. Hey, Matt, anything else on the Big 12 for you, Ken, before we no, get into the Cowboys? Cowboys? Good move. So we are talking about earlier in the program today, Dak Prescott, the money that he is looking for, the contracts that have been sent his way, that have been sent back uh, to the Jones family. Your overview of what you're seeing and, and the anticipation of what's going to happen with Dak and the Cowboys. Uh, I still think that he's going to sign a long-term deal by that July 15th deadline. I think this is what we typically see at this time of the year when you have a player on the franchise tag and you're trying to sign them long-term. You're seeing contract offers being exchanged back and forth. Uh, I would imagine the Cowboys are probably calibrating the, the guaranteed money that, that's part of that contract. Uh, those are the big. That's the big piece in an NFL contract is the guaranteed money. So I would imagine that's what both sides are trying to calibrate right now. I would imagine Prescott probably wants a longer-term deal, maybe a five- or a six-year deal. But for me, honestly, a four-year deal is really a good deal for him because he'll still be in his prime as a player at the end of that deal. You know the TV money is likely to go up. The salary cap is likely to go up. The amount of money that quarterbacks are going to be paid is immediately going to go up when Patrick Mahomes gets his contract next year. So to me, a four-year contract, that's not a, a big price to pay if you're Dak Prescott because you're, you're going to get more money as long as you track at the, at the way you're playing right now. You'll get more money down the line. Hmm. You know, I just thought of something. One more on the Big 12. We go back for this. Uh, regarding the Red River shootout, we've seen the Ohio State Fair cancel. Trent, you said Minnesota's been uh, shelved yep. the State Fair. Of course, the Texas State Fair, and it's Oklahoma, and it's Texas, oh. and it's an incredible spectacle. Um, would they still hold it there if the State Fair doesn't go? And is it might this be the year that the game moves from the Cotton Bowl just because, it's, let's say, the State Fair is going on uh, with social distancing that we, th- we think is still going to be in place? Has there been any talk at all about the Red River shootout and how it's going to look in 2020? I haven't heard anything you know, concrete. I mean, I think that's a consideration, certainly, if the State Fair goes on and they're going to implement social distancing. How do you handle that with a game that regularly draws 100,000 people? Uh, this might be that one year where they say, okay, we're going to move it to AT&T and Arlington just for this year, just to help out the State Fair. But you know, at the same time, the game is a huge draw for the State Fair. They have 300,000 people on the grounds of that fairgrounds that one day. I mean, mm. that is a it's not just a huge draw for the game, it's a huge draw for the fair, and that would be a big hit for the folks who run the state fair from a financial standpoint if they did that. Matt Poston's Heartland College Sports, so we can anticipate what as far as you guys will start rolling out your college stuff when. Now you just put basketball to get uh, to bed, uh, college football stuff for still some... You know, some I guess some questions as to when it's going to start, what it's going to look like. Uh, but are you guys just dive right into that at Heartland College Sports? Yeah, we're going to start diving in pretty soon. Uh, our football guy, Derek Duke's already been posting some pieces, you know, regarding recruiting, yeah. things like that. We're obviously keeping up with all the news coming out of the uh, out of this situation with COVID nineteen and how things are restarting. We know Big Twelve Media Days will be the twentieth and the twenty first, although they will be virtual this year. Right. We're down about the fact that we can't get together as a group because we're kind of scattered throughout the Big Twelve uh, landscape. But uh, we're really looking forward to to what the Big 12 is going to do from a virtual standpoint because I think it really opens up opportunities for uh, for us to cover and for fans to kind of see everything that goes on that day. 
Uh, it's a really interesting way of doing it. The way the NFL draft went, I think went went off yep. almost seamlessly from their standpoint. I, th- I thought it was one of the most entertaining drafts I've watched in a long time. I'm with you. I'm interested to see what the Big 12 and the other conferences that are going to go to a virtual format do this year. And I anticipate that that virtual format carries over to the weekly press conferences, the Mondays and Tuesdays. You guys don't have to go uh, to the school or to the the complex. You'll probably be able to sit at home and do it that way. It remains to be seen. Matt Postens, thank you for what you do for us. Heartland College Sport, it's a great source resource for all the Big 12 in information thank you matt appreciate it as well the maven as you cover uh the cowboys talk to you down the road matt all right thanks guys good to talk to you matt postons postons postcards on twitter we're on a show we are uh murph and annie have one at two that's a good one and the fanatics at four like that one as well and then the morning rush tomorrow morning at 6 a.m we're miller and condon weekdays 10 to noon on des moines sports station 1460 kxno and 106.3 fm